卵の殻を破らねばヒナドリは生まれずに死んでゆく我らがヒナだ卵は世界だ世界の殻を破らねば我らは生まれずに死んでゆく世界の殻を破壊せよ Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Shadow Play Gaze, a podcast about the 1997 anime Revolutionary Real Utna. And as always, I'm your favorite theater kid,、uh, Christine Palin. And I actually don't know if Derek's a theater kid. Are you a theater kid, Derek Reining? No, I am fully that、um, clip of Charlie XCX when she's like, I hate musicals. I, they are hell on earth for me. Like, that is me, pretty much. I mean, I will come out as someone who did like Dr. Horrible's sing along blog. Oh, was, didn't like, we all? When I was like an 18 year old and stupid and horrible. So, and I, my friends were obsessed with the Harry Potter musical. But other than that, not really a big musical fan. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I like musicals, but I also like just straight plays. And we do have、oh. a straight play in this.、Uh, I've in never this seen、episode. a straight play in my life. Only You've seen、one. a gay play. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There you go.、Um, and we are, so yeah, Derek and I are back. We're recapping、um, the first episode of The Last Arc of Utena, episode 34, The Rose Signe or The Rose Crest, depending on where you're seeing this translated. But we couldn't do it alone. We need our third shadow player, our third shadow girl, to help us、um, tell the tale of the rose.、Um, We are, of course, joined. Jury's not, not in this episode, nor is Shiori, nor thankfully is Ruka.、Um, but <laughs>、uh, Audrey C. Whitesides is back to talk about this episode with us. Hi.、Mm. Uh, yeah, actually,、uh, my notes are just entirely on the, when Jury appears for one frame and silhouette during the play.、Uh, so I have a lot to say about that. I don't have anything to say about the rest of the episode. So. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> yeah, so、uh-huh. we had、uh, Audrey on the last time. We were like talk- talking like we wanted her on at least for one more episode in the last arc. And we thought this would be a really fun one because it is, as someone on YouTube put it,、uh, this episode is the entire plot of the show. <laughs>、mm-hmm. just, yeah, yeah, you could just skip to this one and then I think you're good. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, all the people who said skip、um, Black Rose arc, they were all right, but they didn't mention they could also skip the entire show <laughs> other than that. <Exactly. laughs> Well, the, the first 33 episodes. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs>、um, yeah. This, this comes at a good time because the last Euphoria episode was also like a meta textual plague. So I, I'm raring to go to talk about this. <laughs> Hell yeah.、Um, so before you jump into my notes, Derek, do you have any notes? Um, I mean, obviously, we,、um, the top of the episode, we get some implied Akio on the. Um, alone time is what we'll call that, I guess.、Um, but also, then some pr- very violent imagery.、Um, also, some like flashing images, which we've gotten before, but like it's pretty extreme in this episode. And I think there have been, it's been noted before that this episode, when it aired, was not what we see here, I'm pretty sure. Or there's like、yes. some discrepancies between what was aired on TV and home release versions of it. So I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah, there's、huh. some just like generally disturbing visuals, especially when it comes to. Um, sort of the end of the episode. Yeah, I actually read about this. This was one of the last episodes. Hold on, I need to see when this episode aired. Hold on.、Um, because the. the we've, I'm sure we've all heard of the famous like seizure Pokemon episode.、Mm-hmm. This was one of the last episodes to air before that aired. Oh,、um, wow. And so、okay. it, it was changed、um, like after that. So this, aired, this episode aired on. Sorry, pulling it up. Um, November 19th, 1997. 
and that happened December 16th, 1997. Oh, wow. Um, Jeez. Okay. So less than a month later, this, for those people who don't know, there is a very um, infamous episode of uh, Pokemon called uh, Dano Shenshi Porygon, which I don't think it ever aired in the U.S. Um, and it had yeah. that the really... Um, it's the technology that was used at the time to like do like some of those flashing images mm-hmm. are is different than w- what is used now, and it caused a lot of uh, people, obviously a lot of children, because a lot of children watch Pokemon to have seizures, and it was a big thing, and it really changed over. There was like an overhaul in how um, animated uh, television in Japan like did stuff like this, um, yeah. and yes, this episode of Utena did look very different from what we are seeing now. That's really interesting. I uh, I really wonder if there's a version out there um, where you can watch the original. Um, mm-hmm. I think huh. I, I want to say Empty Movement posted the screenshots. Okay. Because I'm sure I'm pretty sure like a lot like um, in the 90s, obviously a lot of how uh, anime home videos were like sent to people was just literally like bootleg. Yeah. So I, I think that they are out there somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know how accessible that they are. But I, I, I've, like, mm-hmm. I've seen someone write about this because I read this. I read someone talk about how this was one of the last episodes. To use. So someone somewhere has written about this, and I do believe has done a side by side. Cool. Um, yeah, but we're, we're obviously talking. I, I believe it's specifically the um, when Anthe gets pierced by the swords, but that obviously is like literally like in the last five minutes of the episode. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I to reset, Christine, what are your notes on uh, who made this episode? <laughs> yeah, I, I got so excited, I'd forgotten to write that down about the Pokemon thing. Um, so yeah, um, this episode, this is interesting. So this is the the storyboards on this one were done by Junichi Sato, and this was the first and only episode of Utena um, that Junichi Sato worked on. Uh, Sato was the series director for the first two seasons of Sailor Moon before he passed it over to Ikahara. Um, and then went on to be the series director for Princess Tutu, which is a, an anime that's often compared to Utena. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm giving two and, thumbs up. Uh, yes. See. <laughs> um, and then later did the storyboards for End of Eva and Evangelion uh-huh. 2.0. Um, oh, fuck yeah. 2.0 is uh, the best one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but this is the only episode of Utena and the whole, whole show he worked on. He just like, was like, I'm here to do drop all the bangers about the backstory and dip yeah that makes a lot of sense actually like um in terms of the way violence uh is used in this episode compared to something like end of evangelion i I feel like there are definitely commonalities um so that makes a lot of sense that's very cool Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, absolutely and i i i guess before we move on i love that idea of uh, since a lot of people make a lot of a big deal about, oh, you know, Ikuhara wanted to make this in response to Sailor Moon because he didn't think Sailor Moon was like, um, it didn't go deep enough into like the whole magical girl, like what the actually implications of that is. So I like the idea of him like inviting back this person who like kicked Sailor Moon off, or at least the anime adaptation mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. it, to sort of like give the backstory for his. Um, his version of a magical girl story, and it ends up being one of the most disturbing episodes of the show. Yeah. yeah, and I should say, Sato also worked on um, Evangelion, like the, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, did the storyboards under a pseudonym? I don't. I'm trying uh, to see okay. which one um, he did, but yeah, cool. also another Ava alum. A lot of um, lot of overlap. 
Um, and then the I keep I have so many tabs open right now. Okay. Um, so this was directed by Katsushi Sakurabi, who directed Six Episodes of the Show. Um, pre- also worked in the Sailor Moon S movie. Um, and I just directed a bunch of bangers in this so far. So I previously did Nanami's Precious One, Thorns of Death, Wakaba Flourishing, mm-hmm. Barefoot Girl. Um, and then this one was written by Yoshi Takedo, who wrote most of the really important, great episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Cool. Love. We love yeah. all these people. Mm-hmm. I've really been rewatching um, Sailor Moon, not knowing that it was the same uh, storyboard artist, but that's very mm-hmm. fun. As I keep going, I will think about this episode. <laughs> As you're watching, like, yeah, like, I don't even know. Usagi, like, trip on a rock for the fifth time or whatever. Um, so I, I... Yeah, I just watched the one where the uh, monster has uh, is a skier who has snowman titties. Uh, <laughs> Iconic. You're, you're coming up to, like, some of my, um, I, like, love that. I've only seen, like, a little bit of Sailor Moon, but I do remember mm-hmm. loving that sort of section of the show that's mm-hmm. kind of towards the end of the first season. So that's mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, end of the first season, Sailor Moon's a banger. Um, mm-hmm. We we love it. I know Audra's a huge Tuxedo Mask fan. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I am Tuxedo Mask. Big difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So we'll just jump into this one because, boy, we have a lot to talk about. Um, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> as we say, this is uh, the plot of the entire show. So uh, we open on... This the way this opening sheet scene is framed is really interesting. We've got kind of like these like like um line like these like like it's like that like effect of like when someone's like opening their eyes slowly mm-hmm. or like you only see part of the screen. Um, I cannot use words tonight, but uh, I was above, thinking like, it's very like um like the slats of a window. Yeah, or like yes shutters um mm-hmm. which i was thinking about because uh later on there's a scene in the tower where like the the kind of like shuttered windows of the tower are open to see mm. the stars um so here we're almost like seeing inside like through those shutters um like yeah absolutely just to like really as if we didn't already feel like gross voyeurs whenever these mm-hmm. scenes come up this i think is like the best or at least the most direct sort of um, application of that idea of like, we are literally peeking through the window, like a bunch of creeps at whatever is going on here between Akio and Anthe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get some dialogue here too. That's really interesting about, well, it's not so much interesting as it is just listening to Akio babble about being a weirdo, mm-hmm. <laughs> like about the idea of like discovering a new comet or a new star um about how you can't own the stars all this sort of interpolated with these this images of like auntie and him interacting um i think obviously the implication here is that he sees auntie as just another one of these stars or comets that he's discovered and he can even though he says you know no one owns the stars the uh, like the implied second part of that sentence is except me like because i'm mm-hmm. the only one who gets to see them from this this vantage point um mm-hmm. So I, I really like that sort of line of talking here uh, from Akio because it gives us more of a peek into how he views Anthe, I think. Yes. Um, the thing that there is a very interesting thing to me here um, in that he's he says that he discovered a new. Um, uh, I, I will say we all know that I'm team Akio space fraud. I don't think he actually knows about space. Um, <laughs> in, in the translation, you might 
think that this supports that because he says, I discovered a comet, and then he calls it a star for the rest of the time. Um, <laughs> in Japanese, he says hoshi, which just means a, a light producing celestial body, which a comet would count as. Um, okay. <laughs> but um, technicality. Exactly. Um, he didn't he didn't know that. He just, you know, got lucky on that one, I think. Um but he he says that he is choosing not to give it a name. Um, and that is very interesting to me. Um, I'm, go- <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind later in this recording. Uh, <laughs> talking about uh, names and like signs and the way that those create roles and identities. Um, so it is very interesting that we're, to me at least, that we're starting off with this thing where he's talking about choosing to like allow something to remain nameless. Um, and like he says, they, they the stars are the stars. They belong to no one. They belong to no one. He repeats that. Um, and it's very interesting that this, this thing comes right after him being like, I'm not going to give it a name in the sense that if you name something, it, it suddenly is owned um, or it, it is, that is the way that you claim something by giving it a name and, and defining it. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up because, yeah, I'm going to names you'll, will come up. Yeah. <laughs> we'll circle back to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do way. also think there's there's something to that also in the idea of like not naming like an animal that you find, like just it, it's like a sort of dehumanizing thing or just like a way to keep a distance from someone. So mm-hmm. in my mind, if I'm thinking of Anthe as this celestial body that he discovers, the idea of not naming it is just another way to sort of make her lesser than or to just like not really um give her any agency or sense of identity beyond himself mm-hmm. so after the little star comet talk um you know on <laughs> the uh is like this whole scene he's just talking and she's like quietly getting ready and then like gets in the elevator and then turns to face him um and says um good night big brother um, this is the first time in the scene, as far as we can tell, that she looks at him and then he suddenly gets very angry and says, like, must you still torture me? And if you look really closely, she seems to like slightly smile, um, which is something you might not pick. I didn't definitely didn't pick up that she kind of like it's like lets this slight smile through. Um, and like the must you still torture me line. I mean, what I have thoughts, some thoughts on that that I'll maybe come back to later. Um, but in terms of the dynamics of the scene, like, is it her silence that is torture? Is it her not looking at him that is torture? Is it just her existence that is torture? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also, I I think that that is, uh, like, left ambiguous. Like, I, I don't have, like, a clear answer to it, um, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And... Um, but, but if I had to pick, I would say that, like, it, it is, like, her silence and her kind of, like, not, not quite resistance, but, like, lack of kind of, like, it, it almost seems like she's, like, you know, like, in a dissociative state. Um, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. that that is some, like, if we see him, like, with other girls, like, when he's with Utena, he seems to, like, take a lot of pleasure in, like, the act of seduction and, like, making them blush and, like, making them, like, react. And the fact that Auntie doesn't give him any of that is, uh, you know, definitely different than we've seen elsewhere. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. sense that she's reading her lines, but she's not playing the part. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, she refu- almost refuses to, like, be the 
victim in quotes like we keep coming back to that idea of like the person who is supposed to be a victim um and she kind of like obviously i I think the fact that she like just um goes along with what he says or like does so in a way that does like you said she doesn't like react horribly to the things he does she just like sort of is there i think like you said that's just like he doesn't get any pleasure out of it um which makes him angry at her but i also think him saying that plays into um, sort of the narrative of this episode, which kind of paints, if we're to believe that he is the prince in the story that we learn about later, kind of paints him as the victim here of her. She's the one who's mm. trapped him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. why must you keep torturing me? Is almost like it's almost like he knows that we're watching, and like he's like, okay, like uh, this whole episode, we're gonna make sure that I come off as the victim. So we're yeah. gonna start off like this. Like that's my reading mm-hmm. of it as well. To sort of. It also yeah. just creates doubt in the audience of like, is is that really the case here? Is it is Anthe like trapping him in some way? Um, so that's also why uh, what I saw in that line when he says that. This is also like, I mean, to again like get into both literature and the real world. Um, I think this is language that like abusers or um, predators use a lot like mm-hmm. I mean I'm just thinking because of how you brought that up and like he's painting himself as a victim of like you know like uh, to use a famous example like in Lolita um, like the narrator um, Humbert uh, is is constantly being like oh she's torturing me she's doing this to me I have no choice like she is torturing me so much and if I could only get away from her I would but she has trapped me um, and obviously he is a predator and a very bad person in <laughs> many ways. But the whole narrative, he is like portraying himself as a victim. So I think that this is, yeah, like you could also definitely read this as like the common thing that that predatory men do is like they portray like I don't have a choice. Like it wasn't up mm-hmm. to me. She 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 got me into this and like she was torturing me and I couldn't do any I couldn't make any other choice. Absolutely. Yeah. The idea of like, um, yeah, like predators will say, oh, like the, like they were seducing me. Like they, mm-hmm. that's their excuse for it. That's how they justify it to themselves. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to read into that singular line and how the show mm-hmm. kind of like leaves it a little ambiguous though, because we do get that smile from Anthe and we do hear kind of like two different versions of the same story in this very episode. Um, which is, yeah, it's it's interesting <laughs> the way this episode supposedly gives you the whole backstory and yet it leaves us, I think, with even more questions than what, mm-hmm. what we do have coming into it. Mm-hmm. So before we hit the title card, we get this quick uh, scene of Uchina lying alone in the bed, um, looking at her ring, saying, I'm going to become a prince. And there's this real like focus on the ring. And so this isn't something we've, we've been seeing her look at the ring a lot recently about like wanting to stay true to her prince. Um, and, but it's, I think it's been a sec since we've heard her talk about, I'm going to be a prince. And this is, we identified this in like the, the very first episode we did, like this like kind of mm-hmm. contradiction in Utena and that she is both wants to be a prince, but it also like wants is like waiting for her prince and like, if she's waiting for a princess, I'd not make her a princess. And we'll get into that when we see, like, um, these, we can assume to be real story of how this unfolded with um, mm-hmm. how she met Dios. Um, but it's, of course, you know, this this is setting us up for, like, I just love because she's, like, looking at the ring and then the title is, like, the Rose Crest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, we're going to talk about this. <laughs> I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Um 
it, yeah, it's, it just plays into this, the sort of meta nature of this episode of like, mm-hmm. let's literally look at the thing that we're about to talk about. And it's, mm-hmm. um, I do like that also it's like centered on Utena here because they could also have like gone about this and like, oh, we're going to explain the roast crests in general. Like how did Toga get his? How did Jerry mm-hmm. get his? like all that? But it's, it's more so about like what this, the roast crest means to Utena specifically and where she got hers from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so following the title card, we get like the the most exciting moment in the entire series, which is the Shadow Girls are real. So uh-huh. I mean, I mean, so so I want to talk about this because it's just like I remember the first time watching the show, I was just like, when you see them in this scene, only we of course only see the back of their heads, um, but you're like, I was like, oh shit, I never considered that they could have been real uh-huh. um, because I think at least for me, I wasn't consciously thinking this, but I think as I understood them in the first time I watched this, I understood them as like, they're here for me. Like they're mm-hmm. only here for me, the viewer to like explain things. And I did, I took for granted the possibility that they were also in this world. Um, and this whole layer of them existing in the school. I mean, you could maybe argue that they like, cause then there's some people who are like, well, they are aliens and they're just posing as students here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are they, are they maybe playing the roles of students in this episode? You know, we will never know. I mean, that is something you can play with and that's the ambiguity, ambiguity that's fun. Um, mm-hmm. And like the, what are the layers of performance happening here? Um, but I do like the idea that they are, they are just girls in the school, in the drama club, because it adds to this whole time we've been seeing students in the school just watching things unfold and are they could have been those girls in the crowd just like watching these things happening and then be going to their drama club and mm-hmm. like interpreting it in this like weird shadow play only for themselves really um i just yeah i adds that level they, they are both they are performers in these shadow plays but then they are also performers in the school um in just existing in the school, but they're also spectators in the school and that they are watching these things unfold and internalizing them and interpreting them. And it's just mm-hmm. very fun. Yeah, the interpretation part of it, I think, is what's fun because then you can think about like, oh, maybe like the reason that like the way they talk about stuff is seems very indirect or like you have to parse out what they're like actually saying is because they are working on very limited information. Um, Obviously, they, like, know enough to talk about the idea of, like, the dueling forest, which, like, I don't think we've ever heard others, like, just regular students talk about. Um, we hear them, like, refer to Utena as the hero, but that then, again, could just be their personal interpretation of what they're seeing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, she's always, like, stomping off somewhere really confidently. She must be our hero. She's got pink hair. She like, must, you know, wears yes. a boy's uniform. She's the protagonist. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I, do, I, lo- I love that idea, and I, I also, I think, probably like traditionally i usually think like they don't actually exist at least that was like my original interpretation of it of like because like um we hear wakaba say i didn't know we had a drama club which i mean also could be because like mm-hmm. most people don't give a shit about the drama club yeah. in their school. <laughs> <laughs> no offense I, I feel like i'm really shitting on theater kids and i don't mean to at all um but um yeah so it, but i it, there also is also the idea of like well maybe there isn't a drama club and this is just a thing that's happening to mm-hmm. Utena. like the shadow play girls like leapt out from the wall just for this moment just so they could get Utan to see uh to see their play right i think the it is fun to me like regardless of what we're meant to think of the truth of them is like it is a fun like deflationary move that like 
it's interesting because I think, feel like up to this point, you could read them as almost like omniscient commentators who like know everything and like have some like it's like, oh, they're telling me the truth of the show. And like if I can parse out everything, then I will perfectly understand all, everything. <laughs> but I think it's it's fun because like regardless of whether they're aliens or they're just girls, like they are beings who like exist embodied in the story and thus are like part of the story and like not viewing it from like an eagle eye lens and like like they they, they're they're just characters as well um Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is fun and i think we can't rule out like because we've we've seen them um, like talk to akio on the radio show Mm -hmm. i don't Mm -hmm. think we can rule out that uh, they were kind of put up to put on this performance mm-hmm. by Akio because it is they they present the narrative that is like most flattering <laughs> for Akio uh-huh. um, so like we also can't like that they and they may, maybe don't even realize for what purpose they are being asked to put on this play like they themselves are actors in Akio's mm-hmm. play to like introduce Utsuna like I think I, I do think I think I lean towards the interpretation that Akio is behind this play being performed because it serves to introduce the idea of the witch to Utena. We'll get Mm -hmm. to the play in a second. Um, And to like further like separate her and Amfi and like keep them from being close together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because Mm -hmm. this whole scene literally, um, I guess we're kind of jumping up ahead here. I was jumping forward to the play. Um, We'll get to that then, (laughs) about, like, why that it makes sense that Akio kind of set this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the girls are like, Utsuna, (laughs) come to our play. If if you join, everything, everyone else will want to join. We're never wrong about these things. It's just a funny, like, you're the main character of the show. Uh And also, we're the shadow play girls. Everyone, the audience looks to us to understand what's going on thematically. Um, Mm -hmm. So, just some fun stuff. Just stand on stage and everyone will throw flowers at you again, like, nodding to the... Utena being the the hero of the show Mm -hmm. and then they just invite her to come see the play at least and um it'll bring tears to her eyes and then they disappear and she pulls out a ticket saying the kashira players uh present uh the tale of the rose of course we hear them say kashira kashira um Mm -hmm. So, um, and then a boy like mentions something about a game, uh, like a sports game, and uh-huh. then Wakabuzz brings a bunch of pictures of students and like tells Utena to march with one she likes, and Utena is like, "Where's Himenia?" And then mm-hmm. um, this is again, it, we've seen this the image thing come up before in the Curry episode of like the of, like was it Mickey who was selling the who was selling the pictures? Yeah. No, 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 it's Nanami's lackeys who were selling the yeah, pictures, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Mickey bought wanted Mickey to bought buy one some. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah I and I was I should have paused. I almost paused this um like that little moment to look at like really look at the photos, but mm. I, I think they're just like screenshots from throughout the show. Mm-hmm. But I did I did notice Shiori was there, Jiri was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know who else, did anyone else jump out to either of you? No, but all that matters is Shiori was there. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally um, red circle. Shiori confirmed. That's all I needed. Yeah. Um. Two very quick notes. Um. I think it is interesting. Um. Right after we kind of, as you said, like get the um, the Kashira players being like, oh, like everyone will come and love it if you're there. Like, I think the the guy with the volleyball comes by and is like, we're counting on you next week. So mm-hmm. like just to like underscore that main characterness. And then also the fact that 
Wakaba is like, Utena, you have to help me pick the pictures. Like, Utena kind of like gets to be like almost like the ultimate spectator who is like, these are the pictures that are the most worth seeing. Um, these are the ones I like to see. And thus the lens will focus on those, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which will be fun to think about. Uh, again, with the play coming up. <laughs> yeah, the chosen, like, choosing other people to be chosen. Um, but mm-hmm. also it, it does, I think, instantly draw a parallel to her and the prince. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone asking her, like, please, Utena, like, we need yep. you to come help yep. us. Like, it's all about um, framing her as the prince. But I don't think she thinks of herself as a prince right now. She It's very mm-hmm. aspirational when she talks about being a prince. Um, so I think it's interesting that she um, has accidentally... Um, already become a prince uh-huh. to her, to at least a notary academy, and like just doesn't even realize it or appreciate that that's what's going on. Um, and I, I, although I guess appreciate isn't the right word because as we'll see, being the prince is not a good thing, um, mm-hmm. as we'll learn later. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I like that little detail too of like everyone begging her to help her. And also, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think we see Wakaba's face, right? Uh, I, I don't like, remember. No, I, I don't a bit. face in I the think scene. Mm- maybe very briefly like in profile like when she she turns to like look at Anthe or something maybe you see her face for mm, a second okay I might be imagining that but I I yeah I've been missing Wakaba this is not a <laughs> all-star Wakaba moment unfortunately <laughs> this just like wetted the, the palette but we need more we need yeah. more Wakaba yeah um so moving into the next scene um like, it's like, you know, Uchima's like, what about Anthe? Where is she? And Waka's like, she's not very social. <laughs> like, she, you know, <laughs> yeah. she's in her flop era. Um, <laughs> and so then we cut to Utina and Anthe posing for a picture in Akio's tower. And Akio says, it's been a while since he's taken a picture of something besides stars. Shut up. Um, and then U- Utina invites Akio into the picture. And he throws, has a throwaway comment about how she likes memories a lot. And um, and then he's about to put his hand on Uchina's shoulder. And then Choo Choo, like, almost messes up the picture, like, in the mm-hmm. nick of time, as he's about to touch Uchina. And Auntie tells him to stop. She goes and gets Choo Choo and comes back and then very deliberately stands in between Uchina and Akio. Um, mm-hmm. So he is not able to touch her in the way he was about to touch her. Um, and then they, Uta's like, let's all go to the play, and the picture snaps, and then Anthe says, sorry, I closed my eyes, and that's <laughs> this brief scene. Um, luck, like, there's a lot happening here. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of talking about the power of the image, of, like, of, like, Akio inserting, inserting himself into this picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can yeah. assume, I feel like Uta was like, can you take pictures of Anthe, like, so that there's some for, um, like, Wakaba to like so there are just some of Anthe anywhere um mm-hmm. and he was like sure let's take a picture like I feel like mm-hmm. that's probably how the conversation went it was more so about yeah. like once again making sure Anthe doesn't get to be like the star or um creating like a bonding moment just between Uta and mm-hmm. Anthe has to be he has to be present for any of it yeah um, uh but yeah, I like that um detail like both Chuchu and Anthe's like stopping that moment it plays into um the mailbag question we got last week about mm-hmm. pointing out how Anthe 
um, maybe was like intentionally throwing rock, paper, scissors so that she could protect Utena and Nanami from Akio. Um, I, I like this, um, even in this episode, which like tries to paint on the end, like a, maybe a more ma- negative light or a more manipulative, manipulative light, um, still has these little moments here where mm-hmm. she is doing something that we can interpret only really as a good thing, either that or just an extremely happy accident. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the other thing I'll say about this episode is, um, the way it sets up, like, the perspective of who, whose kind of gaze we're inhabiting, um, is, is, uh, pretty cool. Like, it starts off with the kind of, like, same, um, almost, like, windowed screen, um, when the camera is being found, like, the screen is narrower and has, like, black bars on the edge, and, but then we find out that this time it's, like, a, it's because we're looking through a camera that Akio has been aiming. Um, so especially like after the last episode where we were like inhabiting Akio, um, <laughs> like we're briefly doing that again as he is like kind of setting up and directing uh, this photo. Um, but then by the end of the episode or the the scene, um, the screen like goes black as the photo is taken. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, the camera's shutter has just like closed and that's why the screen has gone black. But then Anthe mentions that she shut her eyes and the, mm. the screen stays black. So it's like, you know, if it was just a camera shutter, it would be black for uh, less than a second and then go back to being open again. But but the fact that it stays on black and Anthe's like, oh, no, I accidentally closed my eyes um, almost sets up this thing at, at the start of this scene. We are inhabiting Akio's perspective. And by the end of it, we are inhabiting Anthe's. Um, and this kind of play between the two of them and whose story, um, who gets to tell their story and who gets like subjectivity in their story um, is mm-hmm. is interesting in like the way that, um, you know, we we are putting our own gaze onto this episode, but also we are inhabiting the gazes of various characters. Um, I think this scene does it in a really uh, like effective way. Yes, in like a really subtle way too, and mm-hmm. um, I d- also do like that idea to like I guess like ex- or like extrapolate on that point more like the fact that like oh she accidentally closed her eyes and like mm-hmm. um, that like if you blinked from like the flash also like it would only be temporary, um, but it's like well if the eyes are so closed then are we like are we in the perspective of this image of Anthe yeah like, the yeah. Uh, image of Anthe who will forever have her eyes closed like that is that yeah. who we're like so we're trapped in Akio's picture of these like that like we're mm-hmm. like a million layers removed from actual mm-hmm. the and like what her actual yes. like perspective is um wow yeah love, love the show <laughs> but yeah to I, uh, to extrapolate on your extrapolation i think <laughs> it, it's also cool because like i think that another reading of this scene is like there is a moment at which Anthe takes over direction of this uh, photo where she like is like oh no choo choo stop doing that and then comes back and like she reframes the shot um in a way that is like less distressing to her um and at that moment she's kind of like exerting an agency and like taking control of this shot um and like i think we see like a lot of like anthe in um in like pain over how much control she has over her life, like both literal pain and also um, like internal pain, um, or I guess external and internal, 
they're both literal, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I think a lot of the question is like, what control does Anvi have? Um, but the fact that like in this scene, she's able to like exert control over something that that Akio had control over, um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like but with, still within Akio's literal frame. Like yes, she can yeah, only exert right. so much control. He right. poses the camera, but she can like it's interesting that like as we see in like how things unfolded in in mm-hmm. the version of events we're led to believe is true, um, that Anthe did like try to direct mm-hmm. action very very um overtly and very, mm-hmm. very you know confidently. No, we're no, he's he, I'm locking away the prince. He mm-hmm. will not be a prince anymore. And what happened to her? <laughs> really bad thing. She became yes. the rose bride as we know, and this uh, eternal suffering. Um, yes. And so, but like in this whole show, she's only able to exert power if it appears an ac- accidental mm-hmm. or coincidental. Mm-hmm. And that's like the only, if she were to visibly like be like, no, I want the picture to look this way, mm-hmm. that it makes her a witch because she's now mm-hmm. like, not going along the the lines of like how right. this has been set up right and and it's also worth noting like some of the measure of control that she has is literally just like closing her eyes and choosing not to see mm-hmm. and like that shuts off us from being able to see but it's like it, it's such this like it's why i love this show so much is like there's so much like questions and ambiguity and like this is part of it where it's like oh maybe she has some agency and then it's like well but if her agency is just that she isn't going to see things and like is just yeah. going to look away like it is that really like such a great use of agency or like it if that's all someone can do do they really have agency and they're there's such like a push and pull and like it's it's all very subtle in this scene and on like the layers of like the way things are framed and not necessarily in the plot of what's happening um which i think is why i lose my mind (laughs) i mean we're literally talking about a scene that maybe lasts a minute long oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) which i love and i do love i guess just to get into sort of the ambiance of this scene beyond even just like the cool things to interpret about it i love this um the like uh what i don't know how to describe it like this sort of whining of the camera as it's like counting Mm -hmm. down it's almost like a horror movie uh, Mm -hmm. or like even like um it reminded me of in movies or tv shows when like a pot cat like a kettle Mm -hmm. steam it's very much that sort of like ratcheting up the tension Mm -hmm. and you're like getting nervous and you don't know why you're like is something gonna happen here like the Mm -hmm. popcorn in in scream the beginning of scream (laughs) that's what i always think of (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's yeah the epitome of creating tension uh in a film yes (laughs) yeah um So we gotta move on to the sex scene. This is where we get the the the, the first tale of the rose. Um, and so I I do love the leading up to the play. We do, we get what I think are two like nods to the black rose arc. We get the arrows pointing down, mm-hmm. um, into where the the play is taking place, and then the actual stage is a bunch of desks put to get pushed together. Mm. Um, and of course in the black rose arc, the dueling arena, we have all the these same kind of desks. Um, spread out and that whole arena is the stage but those are kind of like that are holding up the props um, that just I that was something I didn't notice on previous watches um, mm-hmm. and then Akio says all life is like a play oh my god <laughs> now you skip the part where what prompts this is literally all to ask is do you like plays <laughs> <laughs> 
And he does not answer the question. He doesn't. <laughs> but, I mean, we make fun of him, but, like, the way Akio views the world, like, yes. Yeah, so, like, he views himself as, like, everyone are actors in his play, too. Yeah. Um, um, but still, it's still... It's like, shut up, dude. She's uh, like asking then, about the weather, and it's like, oh my god. And yeah. and we zoom in on Anthe's face, smiling uh, blankly mm-hmm. as he says this. And then he says, "You're either an actor or a spectator." And what's funny is that in this play, they are both they are all actors and spectators. They mm-hmm. we are they. I think at least Uchinda mm-hmm. thinks she is just a spectator in this. Um, but then I love when the play starts, and it starts on the shadow girls, and then the lights come up in the house like and over the audience and it's like no yeah. this this that the physical space of the stage is the stage but the whole room is the stage yeah. um which is like uh i could be like <laughs> go off about how much i love that um that's mm-hmm. why peter brain peter kid brain uh, <laughs> uh malfunctioning um but he like he does make a point that like the school everyone in the school is both an actor and a spectator yeah um i think it's it's fun because um you know, if you think of like the Shakespeare quote, which I don't know if it's directly referencing the like all the world's a stage and I have to imagine that's what that's a nod to. Yeah. But that one's interesting because in that everyone is a player, everyone is an actor playing a role. Like that's the purpose of the thing, is like we're all just playing our roles like in the stage of life and like, you know, um but for Akio, he's like setting up this hierarchy within it where it's you're either an actor or a spectator. And like you said, like all these characters are both, but it's almost like this furthering his thing of like there are special people and there are unspecial people like he's like yeah you can just be like part of the crowd and like sit back and look at things or you can be an actor um mm. and uh so it's, it's it's interesting that he's like taking shakespeare's thing which is like very like you know kind of setting up this view of life um as something we like create and play um and making it a thing where he's like well are you on your grind set enough like are you, are you waking up and hustling if someone asks if you want to return to being six years old with all your knowledge or get 10 million dollars are you returning to being a six-year-old and manipulating the stock market i don't know if it's y'all not... saw that twitter that t- yes <laughs> it's not dissimilar to how britney spears divides the world in her song circus mm. yes mm, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I have yeah. to assume he was yeah. taking inspiration from her in that moment because he. Was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I do like again as always. It, not to bring Survivor into it, but I mean, yes. Every time Akio speaks, it reminds me of like how, in edgic terms, which is an even more nerdier <laughs> version of Survivor fandom. Um, but the idea of like paying attention to how much how the show frames people and how right how if they reframe them as being correct or if they frame them as being incorrect. Mm -hmm. And usually the show, like Akio speaks as if he is being correct, but the show itself like contradicts him pretty like visually or in the very next scene, like we're shown that he's wrong, but like Mm -hmm. the way he speaks, you could be convinced that he is right in what Mm -hmm. he says. Yeah, Um, okay, so Akio is the person that, like, the casuals thinks thinks is winning, but that, like, the edgic heads are like, no, he got negative SPV, and, like, he was on the wrong, he was, like, uh, contradicted by someone else in their confessional. He is the Xander Harris of uh, Utna. Okay, we've gone far too into weeds. Utna's the Erica. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, God. <laughs> um, so after that little, like, actor spectator thing, Utna wonders why no one else came. And as she says that, the play begins. 
Um, so the actual, so the, the gist of the story we get, we won't go through like line by line or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the gist of the story, um, that the shadow girls present to us is that there was a prince and all this was during all the days when all the girls of the world were still princesses. Um, and the, like the world was not engulfed in darkness yet because of the Rose Prince. Um, and we see these scenes of like the prince fighting Godzilla, I think. Yeah, it's like a kaiju <laughs> thing, which is very fun knowing that um, uh, the storyboard artist did Evangelion <laughs> because like <laughs> seeing like a monster destroying a city, a modern city, despite yeah. being in the past. Yes, like, I love that. Yeah. Um, and I love the it, like the way it cuts from that to like just like the Shadowplay girl with like a hand puppet, like <laughs> so much so that I did in fact gift that uh, on Tumblr once uh, because I, I thought it's <laughs> such a great sort of visualization there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love the way they cut in between the sort of like this fantasy world of like the prince and the kaiju, but that only really happens there. I feel like yeah, I think the only mm-hmm. sort of instance. Otherwise, we're just seeing um, the Shadowplay girls do their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it's worth noting that we start off the play with this like old man character that we don't ever see again. It's like this mm-hmm. man who's like introduces the idea of like, oh, there's this story, um, which I think mm-hmm. it's important that it's like a male figure that's doing this um, because mm-hmm. like um, we get like an older woman character within the play who I think easily could have like been slotted into that role. But it's important that it's like, no, it's like a, a masculine figure mm-hmm. is the one sort of dictating this story to us. Um, and I think it's interesting that like that we start off with like the prince fighting a monster and then I'm alone on Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's also a so monster. It's like, that's still like the hand puppet is like I'm yeah. being attacked by the specter of loneliness on Christmas. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, it's like the prince is expected to also sorry for your weird sirens. Montreal has really weird sirens for like the snow plows. Um They're and kind that's of happening. It's like mm-hmm. the, some of them mm-hmm. sound weird. Um anyway, and so like it's like on, like the prince is expected to like enact violence against physical threats and like physically protect, but also like for, serve with this like emotional comfort um, mm. to all the princesses of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, all the world, women in the world were princesses because we were protected by the Rose Prince. Um, and then we see this old woman figure saying that calamity is threatening the world there's someone who's going to seal away all the light of the world and there's and it's a witch and he the the old woman points to the witch's castle the upside down castle in the sky we've seen um and the and he she says that the witch is trying to take all the light of the world and then he's like what is the light of the world and this is where we get our flashes of all the student council members including jury arisagawa yeah. um oh, jury sighting during the jury moment um and it is that which is eternal shining the power of miracles the power to revolutionize the world so we see sayonji mickey jury and toga um no nanami which is interesting but we've noticed noted that she's not kind of an atypical student council member and that she's only really yeah. there because of toga she's um, also kind of represented later on there is a little sister who is mentioned yes, and i think the obviously laugh. yes we're meant to somewhat conjure up Nanami. Uh, I think so. They played yeah. the, the, with the little sister. I made a note. We do get the Ojo Sama laugh. And mm-hmm. it's the same song that plays when she's doing the Auntie Hemembi as a weirdo thing. Mm-hmm. It's a song mm-hmm. we associate with Nanami's pranks. Yes. Um. So I think we are definitely, even if we don't consciously 
immediately make that connection. It is it's the sound of everything going on with the little sister is mm-hmm. made to make us conjure up Nanami, even if she's not present in this little <laughs> student council rundown. We are never not thinking about Nanami. Yes, <laughs> Nanami <laughs> moment. Um, and uh, so as oh. I uh, well, I I, first of all, uh, what I find interesting, though, about that, obviously, I think each of those word associations, like, we immediately assume, like, like yeah, of course, Eternity with Sionji, uh, Shining Things with Miki, Miracles with Jury. What I thought was interesting was that Toga's was, like, the I, the power to revolutionize the world, mm-hmm. um, because those first three we get led to believe are almost, like, false ideas of, like, mm-hmm. what they're trying to obtain here, whereas, like, traditionally, we are supposed to believe, like, the power to revolutionize the world is what they're truly fighting for uh-huh. um, so the idea to still have it like in like associated with not only just like an individual but also like a student council member who like before that we are supposed to believe is like has like maybe a false idea of what they're searching for so to like this is i think the first time that we've been led to doubt that like mm. the power to revolutionize the world is even a thing that they can obtain um mm-hmm. so I, it's, it's like so throwaway but it's it's very mm-hmm. i think worth noting here that it's it's put on the same exact level as everything else that the other student council members want mm-hmm. and before we get too far into the weeds of this this play i did i forgot to mention the just the part with the the monsters um we do hear the gao gao and then there's yeah. all this talk about there's also talk about promise kisses which is a exactly thing in Mary Kuma. yes um, Mary Kuma vibes here <laughs> yeah it's like we were hearing the gao gao and right after the promise kiss i was like what show are we watching um but the, the, i mean and the promise kiss thing also we that's like a brother sister dynamic um in, in that show and we have brother sister dynamic coming up here with the the princess with the witch and the prince just want to draw attention to that like mm-hmm. ikahara you're not slick <laughs> my man has themes and uh motifs he loves to bring back um, um and so the prince goes uh to the castle to protect the light of the world and kill the witch um mm-hmm. but he gets to the castle and it's the old woman the same old woman who led him to the castle and it was a trap to imprison him in the castle he is the light so the prince was always the light of the world so this was all a ruse um to get the prince into the castle to trap him and she reveals that it is i your sister um and it was her all along and she is the witch um, you are the prince who protects all the women of the world. You make women, all the women of the world and the princesses. And I'm your sister. I'm the only one who can't become your princess. Um, that's why I became a witch. Women who can't be princesses have no choice but to become witches. Also, big Madoka Magica. Like, I was literally leaning, leaning over the desk to copy down the homework. Uh-huh, yes. I think that... Uh, my my theory is that Genaru Bucci watched Utena up to this scene and then immediately <laughs> turned off the TV and like started his first draft. Yeah, I think there's like the same like the line like girls who can't be magical girls. Sorry, spoiler alert, Monica Magica. Oh, girls who like can't, uh, are like doomed. Like at least yeah. there's some sort of like sentence in Monica Magica that's like a very similar construction to like explain it is how that works. A sentence, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I I feel like I it's it is slightly different. I I I only I watched that show pretty recently and yeah, you, you're the one who watched it the most recently. <laughs> the line and it is it's very slightly different, but like the construction of it is the same, and like the obviously this dichotomy is the same. Um, but yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Of course, only only Gen Urobuchi would see this like actual deconstruction of magical girl anime and see be like, well, what if I made it even more of an edgier deconstruction, like yeah. unnecessarily? So <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you've said the word deconstruction because this will give me a good segue. In approximately three minutes. Oh, yes. Um, uh, but I feel like we didn't note though. Um, we um the first time they used the word witch in the play, they cut uh-huh. to like a full frame. Yeah. Like Auntie's face like takes up the entire frame for a second well there's like spotlights on her and akio mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. this, this next scene we do get the straight up spotlights and like the voice change which i find like mm-hmm. really unsettling how mm-hmm. it's like um they really like almost like shatter reality in those two moments just to like really um hammer home to to utana honestly i like i feel like maybe um there's a way like some people might interpret this as like oh they want the audience to think this way but it's to me like this play is for utana like she's mm-hmm. the one who gets the tickets um so it's like they're going out of the way to make utana aware of like this is who you're supposed to be making these connections to and it's, of course she like does like doesn't even react to it <laughs> she's like hmm fun lights we like does not even notice what's happening mm-hmm. um but yeah that's that's my reading of it is like that the um and it really plays into the idea of this being like an akio production um, just to really point, you know, Auntie equals evil, me equals good guy, please help me. I'm the light. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> um, and so the, the, the play ends with uh, the Shadow Girl saying, and so the witch imprisoned the prince and the world was completely enclosed in darkness. The witch mm-hmm. roams the world, seeking the young and noble to sacrifice them. Surely the light presents an optical, obstacle to the witch. Uh, beware, beware! She is still somewhere in this world. You too, beware. That's why this, this, like, yeah, this play goes so targeted to turn, to try to turn Utena mm-hmm. against Amphi. Like she mm-hmm. is the good and noble. Like he, the prince told her, like, hold on to your nobility, uh, and don't let it be, you know, c- you know, corrupted. And it's this play's presenting Amphi as the witch, as the antithesis to um, mm-hmm. nobility, and you know. To like with the goal. I mean, Utena doesn't seem to understand what this. <laughs> I don't. If uh, if Akio was trying to turn her against Abe, I don't think it consciously worked. Because <laughs> I don't. Utena's just like, oh, cool story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's all. She's just there for the production value. She doesn't uh-huh. Yeah, Utena is definitely someone who watches TV and is just like, whoa, that action scene was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Like I'm cool sure. Special effects. Oh yeah. She for sure has like a Marvel movie ranking, like de- yeah. like absolutely. She is that girl. Yeah. She <laughs> is that girl. We respect it. We do absolutely. Let Utana be a himbo. I would not mm-hmm. want her to be anything else. Yes. <laughs> um, I think this is unfortunately where I I have to talk about. Let's go. The way that I the the way that I read this whole episode and thus the whole show um uh so i have to, I have to talk about a guy named uh, jacques derrida, <laughs> um, derrida. <laughs> yeah I, I i can't do french so i'm gonna butcher at least one other french thing here <laughs> in a moment um okay. so if you're not familiar derrida was um a french uh kind of uh, writer, philosopher, uh, literary critic, uh, cultural thinker, uh, uh, who one of he he is often credited as the person who came up with the idea of deconstruction. Um, this is why when 
Derek said deconstruction earlier. I was like, oh, hooray, this is going to make <laughs> my uh, segue a little more natural, perhaps. Um, but uh, for, for Derrida uh, and in, still in like uh, literary criticism and, and so on, deconstruction is like a little bit different than we often use it in like a pop cultural sense now. Like, uh, like in the sense that you would say like, oh, uh, Madoka is a deconstruction of the magical girl genre. Evangelion is a deconstruction of the mecha genre, which are things that people say. Um, <laughs> it, it's used almost in a way that's like, you take a, a genre and you reveal the truth or logical conclusion of the ideas of that genre uh, using like psychological reality um, it, that comes through tropes um, to like reveal some like truth about the genre or like um deeper thing below the genre um whereas deconstruction as originally conceived um means basically just in opposition to the idea of essential truth um if it is a focus on like the shifting of meaning itself and like the way that signs and symbols um are the only thing we have the text and those are very complex and we can never uh, receive a true meaning. Uh, that, that's always going to shift. Um, so uh, why, why am I bringing this up? Um, <laughs> because um, the way the terms prince and princess and the roles and identities uh, implied by those things are very interesting in, the, in this episode. Um, uh, Derrida had came up also with a thing, um, it's, uh, this is the French I'm going to say badly, um, difference, um, which is basically the word difference, but um, instead of a second E, it has an A. Um, this is a word that he made up. Um, <laughs> and it, it basically means like um, the tendency of signs or words or objects in a text um, change over time and are always in conflict between meaning uh, and expression. Uh, and the the ultimate like meaning or uh, conclusion of the term is always deferred and like pushed into the future as it struggles. Um, and we see that so much here. Like it, it, if if you really just like take a second and think about how the words prince and princess are used here and in this show in general. Like if if you were to look up in a dictionary in our world, like what is a prince? It's uh, a person who is the son of a king and queen, uh, like a noble um, who is it's a hereditary role. Um, and uh, it it has like authority and power in like a governmental way um, yeah it has no um like social implication or like implication for like personality in the same way yes. that it does in the show yeah yes you can be like an evil prince in our world you can be like a real piece of shit but if your dad is a king you are definitionally a prince uh that is not true in this show um so i think we have to ask ourselves what is a prince what has the show uh told us a prince is um, obviously, a person who has nobility um, and like usually a man, although here there is a possibility, at least for Utena to become a prince. So it's not 100 percent gendered. Um, but here it gets I mean, this is th this play deconstructs the word prince and also princess uh, because they are kind of like binary opposites. 
uh, in a way. Um, so what a prince is here, it, it, it first of all is a singular figure. There's only one prince, Thoreau's prince. And also he takes on this almost like serving, he's more like a knight that we like think of in our world where like his purpose in life is to like go on like quests and slay monsters and his very existence turns girls into princesses. Um, so the prince's role is to make girls princesses. However, without princesses, the prince could not exist. Like these mm -hmm. things define each other and complicate each other because if there weren't princesses to protect, there couldn't be a prince. Um, uh, and also, all girls are made into princesses by the existence of the prince and his actions, but all boys are not princes is also mm. an important thing to note. Princess does not have an equal power um, and does not like change um, the entire other gender. Um, the like the further complication here is uh, when we find out that all girls are not princesses because the sister is not a princess. Uh, she is a sister and becomes a witch as a result. Um, but th this again is like a weird contradiction because after the prince is stolen, based on the terms we've set up, every girl would then become a witch because she would not be able to become a princess <laughs> because there's not a prince to make her a princess. Um, and when the prince can no longer protect princesses because he is sealed away, is he still a prince? Um, so it's all very complicated and interesting. And I think like these terms, like in the running play, the running time just of this play, like to say nothing of the rest of this episode and show, like, <laughs> the terms prince and princess are made so weird and like undefinable and like both like fully define reality itself, but also like cannot be defined. Like it's all, it's very interesting. Um, and like, so th this whole episode, like I can, I can only read in this way, this like, uh, this, this way that asks us to like tear apart words and interrogate words and what roles they imply and like how they, uh, let people exist in the world but also like shape the world and yeah the power of like signs in this way is so interesting um i, I love semiotics i have a degree in poetry um which is mm. <laughs> uh, the semiotics understander yes, sure, sure. <laughs> um yeah um, i mean that all makes sense and like like you said we'll get into names as well the idea of mm -hmm. like names um but uh, yeah i like this idea of like they're using prince almost as if it's like the culture, like our cultural mm -hmm. idea of like oh the princes, of like the princes you see in like like Disney movies or like any sort of fairy tale. It's sort of like they're they're um like taking that idea, like you said, yeah. and like taking it to its like um, well, if there's a prince in this world, then that means all the girls that he has to save are princesses, um, mm -hmm. and this is what that means. Um, and then also we get the, uh, these other two terms, though, later we get the Rose Prince. So that same word gets used. But then mm -hmm. Auntie isn't the Rose Princess. She's the Rose Bride. Right. Uh, which is different, which it has like a whole other sort of um, implication to it and um, place in our culture. 
mm-hmm. uh, of like what what is a bride versus a princess mm-hmm. um and so I, I love yeah i love that and that's these are things like the show itself like doesn't ask you like doesn't sit you down and say okay mm-hmm. now now tell me what did you learn here what do you think about like the what do these words mean it's just like we are tossed all this stuff mm-hmm. um and allowed to just like ruminate on it while we are also should be worried about like the literal lives of these characters that uh-huh. we're watching yeah <laughs> um, yeah yeah, it's interesting too because if a bride is not a princess, again, is a bride a witch? Like, <laughs> and like, was the old lady like was she a princess before? Like, uh-huh. did he assume she was a prince? Like, yeah, it's just like very, like, very complicated. Yeah, are old women allowed to be princesses? Like, mm-hmm. or is that also like a like if if girls are princesses, like are are women princesses? Like, mm-hmm. who knows? Um, so yeah, yeah, it's all very. Very strange. But, and it, well, that only really works in Otori then, doesn't it? Because I don't, mm-hmm. we've, the only women we've seen have been here for like a few seconds and then they, mm-hmm. they loot, they leave because mm-hmm. um, they, they've graduated. Um, so, but the, yeah. the prince's age is never like talked about. Like, it's not like, oh, um, he's a man yeah. or he's a boy or like his age is he's never referred to, but girls, mm-hmm. it's specifically like girls, which implies mm-hmm. a young woman. Um, mm-hmm. who's like not hit adolescence or whatever. So yeah, all yes. very important stuff to remember and tells us and <laughs> so much. The princesses never receive the promise kisses, which I think is also mm-hmm. important because there's almost this kind of like virginal quality that's like implied by the state of being a princess where it's like if you actually got that kiss and like, you know, grew up quote unquote, like would you then become a bride? Like, mm. and what what does that mean? Um, right. So, yeah, that, I mean, words are cool. <laughs> and then, like, just, like, looking at Utena and her trajectory from these last few episodes, you know, she has been playing mm-hmm. Prince, um, but then she has now had this, you know, she has been assaulted by Akio. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, she's clearly, it was, cons- she's playing a prince, but considered a princess, but she's, is she more of falling into a rose bride category mm-hmm. now that that has happened and mm-hmm. it's just not to jump to the end of the episode but like when at the end of the episode i never could really make sense of auntie's last line of who are mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Um, but then i saw someone in the youtube comments for this episode i don't want to claim that that i realized this on my own someone on the youtube comments suggested that she is interrogating utina's role in the narrative yeah um i like who are you narratively who mm-hmm. are you like which what category are you mm-hmm. yeah. because yes. you are a prince but you are now my brother is treating you as a princess but he has now uh-huh. done this to you so that makes you more like me um and like yes. where do these things these can't they can't exist at the same time but in Utena they kind of do yes yeah. i mean she's thinking and like oh my brother said you can only be actor or spectator you can only mm-hmm. be prince or princess so what are like what are you supposed yeah. to be um yeah, I think, uh, but yeah, there's a lot to read into that final line. So <laughs> yeah. we can get Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, On to the second half of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so the play ends and we get our act break. And I I just remember the first time watching the show being like, what? Because you're, you're presented with this play. You're like, oh, so that's the backstory. So Anthe like sucks kind of. Like we're supposed to believe that Anthe was like bad. But like it's complicating like our idea of Anthe because like, we don't really know what to make of her on a first watch, but we see these bad things happen to us, her, and we're like, oh, feel bad for her. But then, then this play is positioning her as the villain, and you're like, where? What is this show trying to lead me to believe about Anthe? And then, um, 
we don't we're expecting i was expecting you know to cut for like a little debrief about that but we cut to toga and sayonji in the kendo <laughs> hall like the last thing you're expecting to cut to <laughs> you're like we uh, need answers and the show's like here's toga <laughs> here's here's the boys um so toga wants to spar with sayonji to prepare for a fight he has coming up and he references utina winning all these duels without the sword of dios appearing and it's causing quote someone concern um we can assume that's akio um but it's kind of like how that leads to like toga needing to prepare for a fight is not immediately clear but um sayonji asks toga why do we keep losing to utina and then toga says she was shown something eternal as a child and Mm -hmm. this is the moment sayonji realizes that the girl they saw in the coffin was utina Mm -hmm. and he continues to play kind of dumb about the memory Mm-hmm. Where he's like, oh, I don't really remember that. Even though, like we mm-hmm. talked about before with his epi- with Sayonji's episodes, is like he's kind of the one like giving us these memories. Like he, we're accessing mm-hmm. the memories through him. So clearly, he has like a pretty detailed memory of it. Um, maybe mm-hmm. just doesn't remember the face, which which we will get here in this episode. I think this is the first time we see Utena, young Utena's face um, mm-hmm. during one of these flashbacks. Um, yes. Um... But yeah. I think also this is me. I could be wrong. This I feel like this is maybe the first time that we like get 100% confirmation that Akio is concerned about the fact that Utena is winning and does not want mm-hmm. Utena to win. Because I think you know there there is a possible read coming into this that you're like, oh, Akio has positioned himself as like a director or producer outside of the actor specter binary and was kind of like manipulating events, like the whole thing with Mikage, like, Mikage could not have ever really won or succeeded. Like, even if, like, uh, Anthe was there to, like, keep an eye on him and, like, you know, he he was never actually going to, like, succeed. Like, uh, Akio was manipulating that the whole time. So I think there's a way that you could have been reading, like, oh, like, Akio is letting Utena win or, like, manipulating events so that Utena always wins um, for some nefarious purpose. But here we actually get confirmation that that's not true, that Akio genuinely wants her to lose and she <laughs> stays winning. I she wants that to be obliterated. I think my read on the on the Akio's concern is maybe he's less concerned that she's winning, uh-huh. but more concerned that she's doing it in a way he didn't expect. Right. She's right. like, because she has the sort of Dio, so she should mm-hmm. keep winning, but it's she's winning not because of the sort of Dio's. Right. And so I that's my read is that I, it's it's like like it's she's winning and like wielding this power in mm-hmm. a way she shouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe like the thing of like the change in the last arc where instead of um Utena pulling a sword from Anthe, like now Anthe is pulling the sword from Utena, like Anthe has an increased role and like Like they've gone is... off script. He doesn't yes. he like yes. the the they're still like they're improvising <laughs> like yeah. the, the, the the scenes are still going as expected but like yeah. akio has lost control of the yeah, direction yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely um um but then we get um i forgot that we also got like a, an actual shadow uh-huh. play girls <laughs> segment of this episode obviously it's very uh-huh. tight like i mean i don't know there's really not not much up for interpretation here at least in my mm-hmm. opinion um but it's basically we get the the girls, you know, celebrating. Um, instead of going to a Denny's at 3 a.m., they are going <laughs> to take a bath together. 
<laughs> um, um, so you understand my culture? I, I've been subjected to it, yes. Um, <laughs> so you get the, it's, I think it's Akko and Biko are the two girls, right? Yeah. Um, and then um, the third girl, is, is she Siko, Siko officially? Yeah. Okay. Um, so then <laughs> she comes in um, and she's like still in character and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, brother, this weirdo. Um, <laughs> she's talented but weird and she doesn't have friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the entire scene of they, they kind of repeat the idea. Like she doesn't, just doesn't have any friends. Um, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's uh, at least, uh, and this like connected, connects to, um, the whole idea of like Auntie not having any pictures taken of her. And I believe they also reiterate the idea of, um, well, Akio brings up the idea of like, oh, Auntie just doesn't have friends. Like being her friend must be tiring. So the implication here is like she Seiko is supposed to be Auntie, I guess, like this outcast character. Um yeah. yeah. I think also the the big difference is there are two people who can um exit the roles that they play and like have a normal life and kind of just like it's, I mean, they're still acting for us because they're still behind the but like within the narrative of the shadow sequence. There are two of them who are just like chilling and having like their normal life and um, not acting like that's that's they're just naturally taking a bath because they want to take a bath as people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the one girl who's like stuck in the role and like cannot see a world outside of like the role that she's in. Absolutely. Yeah. So which, yeah, reinforces the idea of that being Athi. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and she she's clearly gone the full Lady Gaga and House of Gucci method <laughs> acting. <laughs> Austin the sauce completely. <laughs> um, but which I, I love then that our next like shot is um this really uh, like uh, this shot that I like I don't remember at all, but I was like, Oh my gosh, this is kind of insane. Is this um it's Anthe in front of the elevator mm-hmm. like presumably mm-hmm. like leaving the observatory and the, she has this massive shadow behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like I, I don't know, like again, this sort of like almost horror imagery mm-hmm. associated with Anthe, where she's either in shadows or her eyes are blocked out, or here mm-hmm. she's like presented like a monster. Because I mean, that's how we are probably viewing her after this act break, having the, seen this um, entire play about how she is the witch, how she's evil. Um, so I like that they're um, bringing that into our reality now. Of like mm-hmm. the camera can't help but like see her as something scary now. Um, because that's what we've been led to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like the just way she like wordlessly steps back into the elevator, it's just very unsettling. And and then Utnev, of course, is just like, mm, you know, none. No, she hasn't picked up on this like <laughs> underlying weirdness to what's going on. Um, in terms of like, she has not definitely has not put together consciously in her mind that Anthea is supposedly mm-hmm. this witch. Um, but she's like, Akia, what'd you think the play? And he says, it's what I expect from students. Um, <laughs> Damn. And she's like, hi, you want some tea? Um, and then just immediately goes, like, it must suck being friends with Anthe. Like, what the <laughs> he's hell? Like, the play, he's like, the, he's like, clearly she didn't pick up what yeah. I was trying to throw down with the whole witch thing. So he's like, hey, Anthe sucks. <laughs> yeah, he's just moving to direct insults now. <laughs> Um, but then, um, I mean, Audrey, I, I think this, now this is making me think of it because he's like, what is a friend to you? Like, yeah, yeah. And just like he's asking her to like define what a friend is. Uh-huh. Um, yes. And Uchin is unable to do so, except it's someone who's important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's very troubled by the fact that she can't really define 
who on because indirectly he's asking what is onthe to you mm-hmm. and she like like she's like ooh I'm I'm blushing a little bit but uh, <laughs> she's important hmm mm-hmm. uh, I can't <laughs> I can't really pin it down more than that but she's a friend <laughs> and she's really important huh uh, <laughs> and then he's like am I a friend what about us and she doesn't have an answer to that she yeah she's like. <laughs> Oof. No, she's like, anyway, time to go lay in bed with my friend, Anthe, uh-huh. <laughs> again. Very um, important but... friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then Akio tries to kiss her, um, but she resists. She's like, we shouldn't do this. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like, I don't know, very uncomfortable. Um, so I think um, any sort of, we talked about this before, obviously, uh, at length, Um last episode but like she's clearly like still very uncomfortable mm-hmm. around Akio and doesn't like that this is happening to her um but we also get these this cut to Anthe in bed by herself yeah. um, which I love because we had that scene of Utena by herself in the bed before at, at the top of the episode and now we get Anthe they switch um, places mm-hmm. and also they both seem like distressed without the other there like mm-hmm. Utena was like just like laying there kind of like I have to become a prince like she can't mm-hmm. like without auntie there she's like having an identity crisis and auntie is just like laying there with her hair splayed out in a way that is mm-hmm. very similar to um, the way we see her whenever she's with akio um mm-hmm. so um yeah we get that little moment there which i i assume it's she is that way because she she can only imagine what is happening up there between yeah. Tonight. I mean, and like the space of that bed is like when they're in it together, they they have the hand holding zone and they like they can't fully connect like they 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 have like in the last arc, they weren't able to like Anthe was never able to fully say what she wanted to say, mm-hmm. but they were it's just like very like peaceful, like they're in unison, they fall back in unison, they reach out their hands in unison, they're connected, they're like that is like the most as authentic if we can assume authenticity like Anthe has ever been and mm-hmm. now we never we have not seen them in that shared space for a few episodes because it was like Nanami sleeping in mm-hmm. there with with Utna and then we know you know Utna was with Akio that the other night and now and then the night before Anthe was with Akio and now to the tonight Utna's with Akio and then they're mm-hmm. just like they've both been like separated from like what seems to be like a sacred space um for Mm -hmm. them to connect and like approach understanding even if they have not like achieved it yet and it's just Mm -hmm. been they've been set back so far by akio yeah they almost have Um, like another area like to do their little rituals outside of the dueling arena like it's mm -hmm. it was another place where they could have this little moment of connection that they usually only have in the dueling arena um so yeah Mm -hmm. losing even that ritual is is really devastating clearly for both of them or at least enough to make them i don't know seem very uncomfortable whenever it's just one of them yeah i think also Anthe Anthe's eyes are like open very wide she has her glasses off and like i that that feels important to me given that um like so much of like her eyes being closed at so many points in this episode is like called attention to um like while the play is um going on earlier her eyes are like almost always closed when it like cuts to her face um i think and hear the fact that she is like seems in this like very vulnerable state with like her hair down and also her eyes are like 
very uncharacteristically like fully open um and like you can see an emotion in them like you can see distress in her eyes usually she like hides that um also choo choo has a little sleeping mask that has <laughs> one eye open and one eye shut i don't know what to make of that he's, he's adorable that's what you're supposed to make of yeah. that <laughs> it's um, very yeah. funny though it is cute. Um, and it's, yeah, I like her eyes are open, which um, plays into your sort of the fact that she like blinked before in that mm-hmm. uh, that photo. Like this seems to imply yeah. she has like she gets she can control like how open or close her eyes mm-hmm. are. And so she kind of chose in that moment to like close yeah. them on accident. Um, but it also plays back into um, way back in the beginning of the series when we talked about the idea of on these private sm- Mm-hmm. smile for other people usually mm-hmm. her smile for other people her eyes are closed and that sort of like it's i mm-hmm. always think of it as a very anime expression the idea of like the closed eyes like a pleasant smile whereas the real smile we got from auntie in that episode was one where her eyes were fully open and she like could fully be mm-hmm. uh, and like just smile because that's what she was feeling so mm-hmm. yeah eyes have always been a big part of auntie's character and how we um see how much uh emotion she's willing to give us the audience through them mm-hmm. yeah so we cut like we see this on the well, this shot of Anthe, and then um we cut briefly back to utana saying she doesn't remember much from the time where the she met the prince and he told her never to lose her nobility um and she just like he asked what time like what mm-hmm. time are you talking about and she says i don't remember again she can't even like form the words to be like when I was a little kid and Mm -hmm. my parents died and I was really sad um and she's (laughs) like you know that time and then this is a sick transition I Mm -hmm. was like I'd forgotten about of like Uchina's face and then that becomes shadow and then in the and behind her we see Sayonji and Toga finding her in the coffin Mm -hmm. and this is where I pick up the um Tale of the Rose, um, as we are led to believe it, quote unquote, truly happened, as far as mm-hmm. we know. I've seen people be like, but what if this isn't the real story? I think we should, we're, for the purposes of this episode, we are going to assume that this is the real story. Yeah, yes. I think there's like some like metaphor or um, like there's a there's a fax machine at, at one point that I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if we're supposed to literally think that that fax machine was there. But like, I think that. Yes, I think that the show frames this as, like, this is essentially what really happened. It's being told, so, like, there's some, like, metaphor, like, some representation going on, but, like, this is what happened. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's very similar to memory, um, where it's, but, like, that was, like, supposed, like, that was implied to be what was really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we learned like a few episodes later even that was like a manipulated yeah. memory so i think yeah like as that, that doesn't make it what actually happened with capital a like we don't we really don't know but yes yeah. this is not being interpreted to us through the shadow play girls this is like uh just we're being shown pretty straightforwardly mm-hmm. with their faces like no one's faces are blacked out or anything mm-hmm. it's like we are seeing their faces here um, so, yeah, I think, like like you said, Christine, for all intents and purposes, we can just accept this as, like, as close to yes. reality as we're getting right now. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we've seen this image before of Utena in the coffin. Um, and then we see her alone on a bed of roses as the Prince Dios approaches her. And she asks him if he's the angel of death. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And he says no. And she says, you're pretty. Um, (laughs) And then we see them walking together. So Uchina, like, does not recognize him as a prince. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and she does not say, hey, that's a prince. She assumes he's angel of death. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, we've, Akio himself has compared himself to Lucifer, um, a fallen angel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, it's not that far off the mark at this point. He is an angel. Like I, this, I get a lot of discourse about like, is, is Utena meeting Dios or Akio? Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. it is at what stage is he from falling from Dios? And like, I don't like, we don't want to like that is left amb- ambiguous at, mm-hmm. at this point. He considers himself end of the world. Um, but I'll maybe talk about the prince the Aki and Dios yeah. of it all at the end of this flashback. Yeah. Um, but he does not introduce himself as a prince. Um, yeah. Um, and she and does not recognize him as such. I don't believe he introduces himself at all other than no. just to say, I don't serve death, but he doesn't like give any like, I don't serve death. Also, my name is Dios and like, I'm a prince. Like he, he mm-hmm. the only uh, identification he gives is like, negation like i'm not this thing mm-hmm. right um and i i it's like really depressed like it's just extremely sad that her first mm-hmm. thought is like oh you must yeah. be here to kill me basically yeah. um yeah. and but she but the like the idea of like the angel of death is like implies like a sort of mercy to it um so she's like a, like like we uh, were led to a suit before she's just waiting to die here yeah. at this point um yeah. and the way he shows up though is like he doesn't do so with like he doesn't seem like compassionate or like yeah. he's not looking at her with like any sort of warm expression. He's just like mm-hmm. there almost by obligation. Like a girl yeah. needs to be saved. Here I am. It's like um, I feel like at this point he's almost just as lost as she is. Yeah. Like he just kind of if you get the impression he kind of just like wanders in there, um, mm-hmm. which is running immediately in contradiction to the uh, version we get at the beginning of some of the episodes because we're told. Mm-hmm there's a prince on a white horse who comes to save her. And the reality, mm-hmm. it's just a guy dressed like a prince wanders into his church where she's super depressed mm-hmm. and <laughs> doesn't introduce yep. himself at all. Um, yeah. I think also uh, we have to consider the possibility that Utena is a very big Death Note fan because she asks him <laughs> if, if he's a Shinigami, which is, of course, in Death Note. <laughs> so I think there's all, she's like, ah, oh, shit, like they, they put my name in the book. Yeah, no. Or more, more concerning, she's a Grimes fan, which is more terrifying. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I don't like. No, I don't want to believe that of Utena. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, uh, the prince. I I also noted here, he looks like humongous in this scene, right? Mm-hmm. In just in this scene, though, he's yeah. like Utena's very tiny. In um akio dios whatever you want to call him right now is like almost like as tall as the frame he's just like looks massive and which is like notable later because then um when they're both looking at anthi they look like maybe a head apart like they don't look yeah. that dissimilar in height later but in this moment he he is humongous to her mm-hmm. um, just something interesting i noted and- about that then we just see them start walking. Um, he starts walking and she follows him. And there's some like like rose thing in the background. Like the it's like yeah. the space that they're in. They're in like 
they were in a church. Were the seems that they were in a church, but then they go into this sort of like weird space that is yes. not a one particular place. Um, and he, le- she follows him until the path comes to an edge, like over a dark abyss. And then we see, um, once we see her face, we realize it is a young Anthe hanging just like her legs hanging and we as we get a better grip of what's going on here we now understand she's impaled by all these swords and she's just hanging by these swords um and she kind of looks like an angel like there's kind of like these like wings yeah. to it um very distra- i mean like the the most striking image in the show um when you see it for the first time when you realize what's happening um and utina asks who that is and the prince says she's a witch and utina says a witch and then the prince says the rose bride. So then we have this, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. witch, like the interlinking of these terms of mm-hmm. witch and rose bride being one and the same. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah which <laughs> is like sad then. It's like, I don't know. Usually the rose bride is like venerated. At least it mm-hmm. has like, for the most part throughout the series, obviously we have characters yes. um, like Sayonji who will like diminish her for being the rose bride or whatever, but it's like never really been implied like a straight up negative in this way of like mm-hmm. directly compared to the witch. The rose bride is mm-hmm. the witch. Um, and I think it is sad though, that like he introduces her as the witch first. Like that's mm-hmm. the, this is, like nothing it's she's the witch like even he's bought into the narrative of her being the witch at this point yeah um awful and yeah like it's a very disturbing image it always reminds me almost of like almost like a lung or like an organ of some mm-hmm. sort these like sort of like red illuminated blobs and yeah. then these like veins almost coming out of her um, yeah it's it's just a really really disturbing image um and the way that they just like casually walk up to it is also mm-hmm. yeah just like it's like uh, akio again or dios whatever is like doing this out of obligation he's like just she's like i need help and he's just like eh, okay come on this is what we do for this certain i guess like situation i'm gonna show you over here to the witch zone or whatever it's yeah i think this whole thing is interesting because i think it the, the reason I said earlier, like, I think that this is both the truth, but also not like a literal um, representation of events exactly as they happened is kind of how I read this whole thing. Um, like the the way that that er, transition happens earlier where we go from like present Utena to like all of a sudden being shadowed, like it, it's almost like this whole thing has become a stage and like this is another play that's being told. Um, and, like, because, I don't know, like, if you were to ask me, like, is this literally exactly how the events all happened? Like, Utena was lying on a bed of roses, uh, this figure came and led her through darkness while a ghostly white rose floated over their heads, (laughs) and then, like, she was suddenly physically in a space with a huge abyss and a cliff, like, like, it's almost like, she's been like led into this like liminal hyper real space um outside of like ordinary life um and a a really interesting okay a couple interesting things um one when he meets her again the only way he has provided any identity he is someone who does not serve death uh, when he introduces Anthe to her and says she is the witch and the rose bride, he also says, 
those who can die are lucky uh, while she lives on an agony. Um, but he also exists outside of death uh, in this way. So he's also like kind of positioning himself as a victim. Like he 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 does not serve death. He is outside of the realm of death um, like yeah, Anthea is. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we are victims. Here. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, um, I don't know. But he paints himself more as the victim where she's done something yeah. wrong. She's being right. punished, punished is the way he right. puts it. Um, it's yes. not like, oh, she's being tortured. She's being hurt. It's She's being punished for what she did. Um, yeah. Which, as we'll learn here in a bit, it was, like, all in service of helping him. Uh-huh. Um, which, yeah. <laughs> You're like, ah, yes, this is young Akio. <laughs> now yeah. I'm making the connection here. Yeah. He would do that. Um, but yeah, so, um, as he explains that, um, she, he starts, we get this, like, a flashback within a flashback, um, Mm -hmm. where we learn, um, we kind of, we come upon this, like, it's like a farmhouse, I want to say, um, and there's, like, this huge crowd of people around it, um, and they're all, like, sort of banging down, like, literally torches and pitchforks level of, like, let us in, you need to help us, Mm -hmm. um, and we cut to, like, inside of this farmhouse, this, like, stables with hay and an effects machine, which I'm, yeah. this, this is honestly, like, one of my favorite visuals of the show, because it, like, so perfectly captures how the show can, like, be so surreal, but also, like, like, that, like, nothing about that, like, detracts from how, like, scary the scene is. Mm-hmm. Like, you're still, like, so distressed for Auntie here that you're, like, you're taking the silly fax machine in stride with whatever's happening here. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and yeah. then there's, there is no castle. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah, that's the other thing. a shack on a hill mm-hmm. um, and a fax machine. You know, like, the prince wasn't, like, we can assume Akio, when he was Dio's, you know, again, the, the terms, yeah. we don't really know. Um, <laughs> but, like, Dio's, you know, it doesn't, we don't see any horses. They're in a stable, but we don't ever see it. So was there ever a white horse to begin with? Like, there was, mm-hmm. there's certainly no castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to just draw attention that, that people have drawn uh, parallels between um, like this like shack in the hay and like Nanami in yeah. the cow being the cow, right. and then this there's a frame in this with like Anthe and Akio like him laying down. That's like framed similarly to um, when uh, 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 Swabuki is watching movies. Um, there's a shot of like a man and a woman mm. like in like what looks sort of like a barn. It's like this, mm. they're p- positioned very similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, just something worth noting, the power of the image, this like kind of reproduced image of like um, a girl and a boy, man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, Dios is, uh, oh, like he's like lying in the hay. He's not doing well. He is. Yeah. His flop era and I mean, well, if we're like framing, if like we're supposed to believe this is him telling this story, of course he's gonna like put himself in like a manger, like Jesus, like oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Auntie's caring for him as a loud, large crowd of people is banging on the door asking for the prince to save their daughters, and um, mm-hmm. this whole setup with the crowd and that what happens to Auntie because of the crowd is why Auntie is afraid of crowds in the dance in the ball yeah. episode. This is kind of the payoff reveal of like why she is afraid of crowds and it's because she was attacked by an angry mob they stabbed her with swords <laughs> yeah so very fair <laughs> very rational fear um and he still deal still tries to go even though he's unwell and she mm-hmm. tells him no and then she goes outside and tells him that dios is gone 
I have him all to myself. I've sealed him away um, where they can never touch him again. Um, mm-hmm. Which I don't think isn't true. Like she's not done anything. Like, she has mm-hmm. no magic. Like she's not done anything magically to seal him away. Yeah. She just all she does is say the prince is gone, mm-hmm. um, and that is enough to like shatter the illusion of of the prince and set her up to be the witch because mm-hmm. princess is like was she. There's the whole thing where she can't be a princess. But if a princess mm-hmm. um, is playing the girl playing the part of heteronormative femininity to be a witch is to break the script Mm -hmm. um, and to break character to go off script to break character and to exhibit some sort of non-normative behavior Mm -hmm. and that's what auntie does here she is supposed to be the little sister who you know you know just maybe is expected to be silent to just wait in the barn for her brother to come back while he plays his role and by like going off script and like trying to direct the action here, so to speak and say, no, he's mm-hmm. not going to go out. He's dying. <laughs> um, that is enough to label her as a witch because she, that is not what is written for her. Mm-hmm. And that's not what is written for Akio yeah. and slash Dios. Yeah. It, and it's, it's not like he asked her to do this either. It's something she chose herself to do, which is like, that's oh, the yeah. transgressive act. It's like, she went out of her way to do this because she saw a, a problem and tried to solve it um, on her own. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, she only is really able to do this almost because, like, like he explicitly doesn't want her to. Like, he, she's like, you have to stop. Like, you're, like, dying. Like, you're, you're so hurt. Like, please don't fight anymore. Um, and he's like, no, like, I have to go do my duty. I have to go save them all. Um, and, uh, in, like, the end of the scene, he's basically, like, passing out, um, inside the house while she's doing this, um, and is thus unable to either, like, if he wasn't hurt, like, you get the sense that he would be running out and being like, no, Mm -hmm. like, but the fact that she, like, is like, no, like, I'm going to find a way to release you from this, um, Although I, in a weird kind of ironic twist, like her attempting to release him and save him from the role of prince, like does end up kind of like making him not the noble prince anymore, but also like does end up kind of trapping them in this like weird eternal uh, (laughs) suffering and um, like they become defined in different ways um, as, as he loses his princehood, but like doesn't gain anything else and she is labeled a witch and is forced to play that role so both of them are in this weird space um yeah yeah where it's like um there are presumably still girls out there who need to be saved who need to be Mm -hmm. saved by a prince but he he's supposed to be dead um but he probably he still wants to be that prince yeah. Um, but the fact that uh, Thea has created this reality where there is no prince anymore, the prince is dead. He kind of has to play prince instead. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Be the false prince. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, I think it's worth noting here that um, the adults, the like angry mob, um, they don't say you have to save our princesses. They say you have to save our daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that we're now kind of being shown that princesses was a term that was added in later. Mm-hmm. Um, like here there was a prince, but then there were just daughters. Um, and like 
obviously that has like a very different connotation because uh, it's much more normal and like not a fairy tale anymore. Now it's just like girls. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, that's interesting. And also frames them as like the the reason you should say them is because they're our daughters. They're related yes. to us. Again, yes. still like it still is like uh, infantilizing and um, serves to make paint them as objects rather than like. Mm-hmm. their own individual like no i don't think it, um any did any of these girls ask to be saved mm-hmm. we don't know it's like their parents are here um yeah yeah so ooh, lots of fun stuff but long yeah. story short she gets <laughs> impaled by a bunch of swords bunch of swords <laughs> and this is where we get the flashing red um background and uh this is when uh, in, and Dios cries out Anthe's name as this happens, um, as he's kind of like, as you said, Audrey, kind of passing out. And Utena jumps across the void. Uh, young Utena jump like there's this like gap, and she like uh, Dios has led her to the gap, and she jumps over the gap and runs to Anthe. Um, and he he says the prince that Anthe loved is no longer the prince she knew. He is mm-hmm. now end of the world. All she has left is her suffering. So like. Essentially, like, by doing what Anthe does, like, by, like, saying, no, Aki is, like, Dios isn't coming out today. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dios is going to take a nap. Um, by what she's doing, what she did, she's, like, broken the illusion of the prince's power. And, like, by illu- by extension, she's, like, broken the illusion of his existence in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, uh, my, my take on, like, Dios is that he never had any p- inherent power. Uh-huh. Um, and that, like, Dios is, like... He, by Anthe doing that, he is like confronted with the reality that like the prince has no inherent power. He is only powerful as long as he and others believe he has power. Mm-hmm. Um, and that power is de- de- he's also confronted from the, with the reality that that power is derived from like the subjugation of girls and women and like specific, even further the suffering of girls mm-hmm. like his sister. Um, he's like confronted with this very like visceral image of her suffering, and that is what props up the prince's power. Yeah. Um, and so he like he's like in this moment, I think this moment we're meeting Akio slash Dios. He's like he has path, different paths he could take. He could choose to like blindly continue playing prince, which I don't think is possible for him because he has like seen he's so aware of Anthe's suffering. Mm-hmm. Um he could reject the notion of patriarchal power and princeliness entirely and be like, fuck this. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Anthe doesn't have to suffer. I don't have to suffer. Um we can find something different. Or he can abandon all of his morals to try to benefit from the system as much as he can and being fully aware of the harm that it causes and placing all of the blame on Anthe. Um, mm-hmm. And not acknowledging that it was a flawed system in the first place. Guess which one he chooses. <laughs> <laughs> really? And he's so rather than acknowledge he was never a prince in the first place, he chooses yeah. to view himself as a fallen angel, as someone who was once good and is now no yeah. longer good. And it's because of Anthe he's no longer good. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. But, and it's weird because she like has this huge role as like the witch in the story. But she also in is in ways made like incidental or like just not mm-hmm. important. She's almost like an afterthought to him of like, yes, mm-hmm. I was this prince once and I I like I'm here to like save people. But oh, and also, by the way, here's my sister who like ruined fucked everything up for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How awful. Anyway, back to me. Um, yeah. And so um, what I find interesting here, too, though, is like that Utena like goes up and tries to save Anthe. Like that's her first instinct. 
Um, mm-hmm. Even after, like, she's literally just been in this sort of, like, depressive fugue state, she's, like, her first instinct on learning this is, like, well, I have to help her. She's, like, she's in pain. Um, and, um, but she gets, like, sort of pushed back by this force field. Um, again, like, the physical reality of this is, like, not really established. Yeah. Like, Auntie, as we see her now, isn't suspended in swords. Mm-hmm. You can tell. Um, so it's hard to, like, know, like, what that means like uh, we yeah. don't really know but uh, like just the idea is like we just see know that like we Anthi was in pain and Utena recognized it and tried to help her and wasn't able to mm-hmm. um and it's we learn here kind of um because we know Utena was shown something eternal here's where we learn that the thing she was shown that's eternal is pain she's mm-hmm. she's seen eternal pain which is like really terrifying to think of <laughs> like when you hear mm-hmm. it's like oh she was done something eternal must have been something good or something like something to give her hope but the hope that she has is like she sees someone who is an intense save that person from that pain is by becoming a prince like that's mm-hmm. what you know which is so awful <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah this this moment um, was the, or the first time I watched the show. This was the first time I cried while watching um, in this oh. moment where um, like she, she's begging for the prince to save Anthe and um, the Sunlight Garden starts playing and we see just Dios kiss away her tears. And this is the one part of the story that did happen. And we, know, we noted mm. that in the, in the storybook retelling this is like the one part where we see faces um mm-hmm. in that retelling is when he kisses away the tears so like that is the one part that's that makes sense it's the one part of the story that actually like as far as we know really did happen um and he's like you know the only one who can save her is a prince she can believe in and mm-hmm. he can't be her prince and he doesn't explain why like you can ask why and he doesn't really explain and then she says i'll become a prince and save Anthe myself and this is when i started crying the first time it's just the, the yeah. realization that like and I guess I'll kind of like get at why this means a lot to me is like, it's just Utena's, the realization that Utena has been fighting for Anthe even before she kn- knew it um, really resonates with me. Like we kind of, we've hit, kind of touched on this a bit, but like, like the, the queer themes of this show and like specifically mm-hmm. like people talk about the show, like talk about like compulsory heterosexuality and like, and like realizing you're gay and like how hard that is and like how like hard that is. Like I remember at a very young age, like there are things I now remember where I'm like, Ooh, that was fruity. Um, <laughs> but as a child, I like, I didn't understand them as such. Um, but there's like ways you like, you can know before you, who you are before you truly have the language to articulate it. And, mm-hmm. and so there's, the realization for me that like Utina has known Anthe this whole time and like that is who she was fighting for and she still doesn't realize that that is the true motivation mm-hmm. it's just whew. and she's and this this coming in the middle of her being like coerced into this like heteronormative mm-hmm. like a fucking abusive yeah. situation with an older man is just so heavy <laughs> Yeah, it's also, I think, really powerful this moment to me because you realize that, um, like, what we've been told in the little storybook flashback is that she wanted to become a prince because she was so inspired by meeting a prince. But she wasn't. Like, she was, (laughs) she saw, like, a kind of, like, weird broken fragment of someone who maybe used to be a prince, but, and is like, I have to do what you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this this way that like we we kind of like learn that the story we've been lied to this whole time like she was never inspired by a prince she like 
saw something that was missing in the world and like took it on herself and like the fact that like you know like we we get a sense that like she's been doing this herself this whole time and like has been like alone in in this pursuit the whole time and like doesn't have a role model like she's truly just like being forced to stand on herself and define herself at every moment um and that's a really powerful reveal to me also <laughs> like this uh kind of like revelation um that like utena never had a prince like she, mm-hmm. she's always been like doing this for herself and for Anthe. um yeah mm-hmm. yeah like she's been working off of like you said this person who's only defined himself for the things he isn't or the things mm-hmm. he can't do like yeah. she's like recognizing but it's like also interesting that like this is like it's not other people's perception that she was inspired mm-hmm. by the prince it's her like perception this is the story like she tells herself and she tells other people like uh-huh. i met a prince who was so noble and i would don't want it to be just like him yeah um it's like she even herself like can't access that true memory which is like she refused to help his sister and she mm-hmm. wanted to be that person for that little girl but mm-hmm. the way I guess society or like maybe she like did immediately tell someone like this happened to her. Yeah. And like maybe they were like, Are you sure? Like, oh, yeah. you wanna be like a prince too? Like they like yeah. other the, the other people's reaction to it changed how she viewed the memory. Like, oh, yeah. well maybe it was because he's mm-hmm. so amazing and perfect. Like I do wanna be like him. Um yeah. instead of thinking, Oh, he sucked. I don't wanna be like him. I'm gonna be better than him and I'm gonna mm-hmm. help save that girl. Um, and I think it to to go to Christine's point, I think this is powerful to me because it is the way that like as queer people, things often go for us. Like we see what we realize what we want to be. Like we see something we or we don't see something. We see a a gap in the world, and we're like, that's where I fit in. And then when you try to express that to the world, they say, Oh no it sounds like you want to be this thing that exists and holds up our society <laughs> and it fits in the stories. And you're like, Oh yeah, I guess that is what I want. Like, I guess, I, mean, I guess you're right. Like, no, I, th- I thought I wanted to be this unknowable, undefinable thing <laughs> uh, that I'm making up for myself because I have no models. I, I am uh, even as a child and young person, I am attempting to like forge an identity that does not exist in the world. And then <laughs> the people around you are like, oh, no, 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 you want to be the normal thing. There's, there's yeah. a normal thing, and maybe it's a little weird that you want to be the normal thing, but there is a normal thing that fits within our system, <laughs> and that's that's what you actually want. Yes, it's very much like when, um, like, uh, you're like, oh, I, like, you see, like, a beautiful woman, and you're like, oh, I want to be her, but then you're told, mm-hmm. oh, so you want to, like, be, be, like, be with her, right? That's what you meant when yeah. you said that? And you're like, uh, yes, sure, yeah. that's what I meant, okay. Yeah, like, this, this is my, like, weird, um, like, when I was a kid, I, I liked Star Wars, I, like, watched Star Wars, like, every day, and, um Han Solo was my favorite character um at the time where I was like oh you like want to be Han Solo and then like as an adult I was like no I said a crush on that guy exactly <laughs> I mean that's like me like admiring fabulous women and uh-huh. growing up but then my like my dad's interpretation of that is like oh you want to like objectify women with this yeah. funny calendar I got of cheerleaders right I'm like yeah sure <laughs> that's what I like yeah. about them <laughs> yeah so yeah again like re- like kind of learning that that's what's happened to and uh, I, I mean obviously it has a lot of parallels to like real queer experiences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. surprise surprise 
<laughs> yeah, just like there's there is no story where that Utena would have ever read where a girl mm-hmm. wants to save another girl. So mm-hmm. some at some point along the way, it, it has to change to where it's something understandable. Well, like you know, in the stories, a girl doesn't want to save a girl, but mm-hmm. a girl can maybe be inspired by a prince, and we'll just forget about that girl who is like suffering at the hands of everything mm-hmm. that these stories are is propped up on. Um, yeah, and it's, yeah, it makes sense. Like she, Utena can't make sense of like she, she like I have to imagine she sees Auntie suffering and recognizes mm-hmm. it as suffering. But you have to imagine she can't really make sense of it. So it makes it does make sense that that is like lost over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. she's now. Um, and what I also find striking about the slight difference in the story we're told is we're told that in the storybook story that the prince told her, take this ring. It will lead you back to me one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does not say that. He says, take this ring. It will lead you back to this place one day. Mm-hmm. It will not lead you back to me. What this place is. Yes is remains to be seen um but we can we can see it will lead you back to this place where you are able to mm-hmm. engage with Auntie's suffering again mm-hmm. um but what we're seeing in the yes. present is Aki mm-hmm. seems to be trying to lead her as far away from um actually helping Auntie in some way mm-hmm. yes also we uh, it's extremely not an engagement ring <laughs> yes very like much not that. no <laughs> yeah um <laughs> I think, yeah, the the cool thing to me also here is this is kind of like um, it's uh, kind of like, um, again, to go back to like the idea of deconstruction, like I think there, there there's a, um, a story archetype called the restoration fantasy um, in which like the world is in disorder. It's basically like what the tale of the rose is, like the world is in disorder because the um divine order of the world in which there is a hierarchy and a monarchy has been disrupted and the only way to like restore goodness to the world is restoring monarchy and hierarchy um like again the tale of the rose or like if you think of like hamlet that's like a failed restoration fantasy where hamlet cannot restore um the monarchy and I think that up until now, like, th- there's some angle that's like, if Utena wants to be a prince, like, she just wants to buy into hierarchy and, like, reaffirm that power. And, like, she's trying to, like, restore that, like, things are fucked up. Something is rotten in the state of Otori, but Utena truly becoming a prince can set things right again. Um, but w- what we learn through this whole flashback is that that never was true. There never was this divine order. And Utena becoming a prince wouldn't be restoring that order she would be becoming something new um and mm-hmm. like redefining the idea of a prince so so it's kind of this like we've been set up to like um see this as like a very hierarchical story in which she is participating um and uh like again everything is like a court it's like the french uh court before the revolution so it's like oh if Utena's becoming a prince that means she's going to stop the revolution like she would reaffirm the existing power but here it's like very kind of um powerfully shown that like no like her becoming a prince would be something that like has never truly existed also maybe it's still a bad thing and it has all this complicated baggage but like it's a little bit more complicated than just she's a prince and then everything is right yeah because the old version of the prince wasn't able to save uh and wouldn't Mm -hmm. save Anthe, but like the if utina were a prince like 
or Utena's version of a prince would save someone like Anthe. Mm-hmm. Like, and that inherently is like just different from how the prince yeah. was before. Um, it's not about like I'm gonna save every girl in the world. It's like mm-hmm. I'm going to be a savior for someone and help end suffering for at least one person. Mm-hmm. Like that's what's important to Utena, not ending suffering in general. Like, yeah, just, yeah, um, yeah. But fun, fun stuff going on here yeah. in this mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Utena wakes up, um, and it's not super clear if she was literally dreaming that it's like because yeah. the, 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 this all starts when she's awake and like it's like again up to interpretation whether she's actually dreaming that or not I think mm-hmm. or it's just like fun timing to make us question yeah. whether she is or not and <laughs> also Akira like poured her tea and like that's like that's like drawn attention to it. it's like maybe she was put into a sort of like mm-hmm. hypnotic state and like he kind of pulled this out of her without like we don't really know like the reality yeah. of what happened yeah, but she wakes up and she sees Anthe uh, looking at her um, and just like staring at her. And Utena says she was dreaming about something familiar, but she can't remember it now. So we can we, again, we don't know exactly when she fell asleep, but like she's conscious of something that she is uncovered, but she doesn't know what it is. And um, Anthe's like, oh, I was watching your face as you slept and asks her, who are you? And then the episode mm-hmm. ends on like a very weird, like, or screechy noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, this, this moment, again, like I mentioned earlier, this moment, I've never quite known what to make of it. Um, but I do find, enjoy the interpretation I saw in that YouTube comment that it's suggesting that Anthe is kind of grappling with Uchina's role in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if, yeah, because if we watch the, we both watch the same play, I know I'm the witch, I know my brother is the prince, but who are you mm-hmm. supposed to be in our story? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think that like sort of sound at the end, to me it's reminiscent of like the swords almost, or like something like stabbing, um, yeah. just to, I don't know, it almost like paints again Anthea as like someone kind of scary, reminded of her, she's like this person who has been turned into the witch by society and has these like this suffering that she's gone through like what has that turned her into in the years though is the question because we've seen mm-hmm. what Akio has become from dios we saw dios who was like this savior who was helping people to the point of literally exhaustion but now he's mm-hmm. he's Akio, the manipulator the monster how has Anthe changed i think is the question here um, so even though I think the second half of the episode definitely like shows Anthe in a much more sympathetic light, it also mm-hmm. still leaves that up for interpretation of like, but is everything okay there? <laughs> like what's going on with her at this mm-hmm. point? Yeah, I think my other thing here is that like implicit in the question, who are you, is also some of the asking like, well, who am I? Um, because like, you know, if you have such a level of intimacy with a person and you are questioning who they are, like, obviously your relationship to them is very important. Um, and, like, I, th- I think that some of Anthe's, like, question or discomfort here is also, like, who are you and what does that say about me that, like, I'm here with you? Um is, is I think the other half of that but it, it is very weird and I think I'll you know like uh, I, I watched this show like 10 years ago and haven't watched it since so there's a lot I don't remember like specific details of and when I did watch this I was like is there like a weird like Anthe amnesia plot that I forgot about <laughs> 
Yeah, this is actually the arc where suddenly Avi remembers nothing of what's happened and we have to reestablish all of this over again. Yes, of right. course. Um, but, <laughs> but, it, yeah. but I think that, yeah, like the way that it's just like a very unsettling ending, like the fact that like I thought that for a second, I think really... <laughs> <laughs> as a viewer you get like so thrown off that it's like Off i'm willing to accept moment. anything <laughs> yeah yeah i think i saw in the comments of in this video someone thought Anthe was dead at the end of this episode because i saw her, <laughs> like i saw someone's comment like i can't believe it Anthe was one of my favorite characters i'm like no she's alive <laughs> it's like when i thought mickey was dead in the first black rose <laughs> duo i'm like oh mickey's just dead now um, i guess this is what's happening now <laughs> I, that that person saw the scene where she gets stabbed back in the past and immediately turned the episode off <laughs> <laughs> well she's gone fuck that um, <laughs> so that is yeah that is the sentiment we end this episode on and that is the the who are you of it all and that is how mm-hmm. we open up the last arc of the show um, giving us all this exposition we didn't know we were missing, um, mm-hmm. question making us question the exposition that we thought we had, and make us question who these characters even are at all. Uh-huh. So um, I'm sure these last few episodes are just going to be a walk <laughs> in the park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Very straightforward, you know, p- tying everything up with a nice little bow. That's what these uh-huh. next five episodes are all about, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to get to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Our next one will be episode 35, The Love That Blossomed in Wintertime. Um, but before we dig into that, any last comments? I mean, we talked for almost two hours, but I just want to make sure we've all said our piece. I think I, yeah. I think I, we should, I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna, at the end of my notes. Yeah, I'm going to restrict yeah. myself two hours. Yeah. That's all I'm allowed to say about this, because I could keep going for sure. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, ha- I have some stuff in my notes about the difference between uh, Derrida and Hegel, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's a mailbagger <laughs> for sure. And also, we still we keep hearing about this idea of a magic circle, magic circle. from Audrey. Uh-huh. I'm very excited to learn what this means one day. So. Can we tell Audrey's thesis drops? Yeah, the problem every time we do an episode, I'm like, I want to talk about the magic circle, but it would t- it would be, it would derail things so much and become like I I. I I am. I try to exercise as much restraint as I can when you are so gracious to have me as a guest. Well, here's well, we've we've talked about this uh, together um, off pod, but I think we should let people know that we're planning on maybe doing bonus episodes after the mm-hmm. series, just like getting final thoughts out. So uh, don't worry, everyone. The Audrey Magic Circle of it all oh, will okay. for sure drop in it. I'm sure it will be three hours um, minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Audrey Magic Circle TED Talk. <laughs> Yeah, I like. Um, I'm not even joking. I've like literally considered starting a blog because I'm like I really want to write about this. You thing. should. That'd be you awesome. Should. You could be like Maybe this. I will. Yes, the shadow play gaze go. I don't know. We we pivot to text away from oh audio. Yeah, <laughs> multimedia franchise options. Yes. Uh, well, I I mean we, the Amazon adaptation. Oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Uh, we have been talking about pivoting the video for a certain project. Mm. <laughs> yes, we have. Oh, we yes. will leave that vague for our listeners yeah. to guess what we've been cooking up, uh, which I have not worked on that at all yet. But <laughs> No, I need to finish rewatching the show first because I'm like, I need to like, I, I can't say why. Never mind. Yeah, I'm going to be very mysterious. Uh-huh. Um, but I think people will find it amusing. Um, anyway, <laughs> so before we dip out, um, Audrey, where can people find you and anything yeah. you want to plug? Um, I don't 
think I have anything to plug at the moment other than, uh, I guess, um, I think uh, one of the other times I appeared on the show, um, uh, I had uh, worked on uh, some music with a musician named Mel Stone. Um, and uh, I, I've done that again in the time since. Uh, so there, there's a couple new singles out that I played guitar and bass on. Um, and a, an EP to come. Um, and uh, you, can, you can find all that at melstone.bandcamp.com. Um, uh, you, you can find me uh, at Audrey Otherway um, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I use Twitter more. Um, and uh, I, I talk about other anime uh, in addition <laughs> to this one uh, and uh, other weird stuff. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, check me out there. Yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah, we, we come out on Thursday, so that's like right in time for Bandcamp Fridays, people. So like, mm. that's a great time to plug, I think. So and that's a good mm-hmm. reminder to everyone, including myself, you know, support yeah, people yeah. on Bandcamp if you can or literally just give them money directly for making amazing art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the next Bandcamp, the, the next one will be the one in March. Like, is it the, oh, the first Friday? That might be. I think true. so. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Christine, what about you? Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at xteen underscore files. Um, and you can find my writing on about Survivor on Inside Survivor. Um, I, I'm really behind on writing my things for the draft because this is a really bad week for school for me. But uh-huh. I, there will be some sort of draft assessment coming out soon. And I have, I have, con- I have assembled a pretty good team. So check that out uh, for 42. And uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, how about you, Derek? Uh, you can find me at Rain Derek's on Twitter. Um, weirdly, mostly tweeting about Euphoria lately. Oh my gosh, there's a. The, is it Basketball I, I, Junior? This is Basketball oh Junior. Oh I'm my sorry gosh, to this the, is way no. This this is way more important than a plug. I'm staring at a beautiful creature. Um, yeah, you can probably see him Christine on. And you can probably see Basketball Junior on my uh, social media sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you can follow me at Rain Derek's. You can follow my other podcast, Bitter Jurors. Um, we're at Bitter Jurors Pod on Twitter and Instagram with our good friend Sam Stanish. We are wrapping up Legend of Korra right now, or book two of Legend of Korra, I should say, um, right now. And we are uh, about to dive deep into Survivor 42. We should have a cast assessment, assessment soonish, I think. The, the season premieres March. First, I want to say something like that. Oh, I better uh, get on my blurbs. Mark's getting mad at me. <laughs> I've been told by the our cast assessment guests that it should be soon in early March. So uh, the cast assessment should be coming out at any any given moment. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Uh, yeah, thank you, Audrey, again so much for joining us. Thank you all for mm-hmm. listening. March ninth. Oh, Survivor Pierce on March 9th. Yes. Oh my Hello, God. Hello, Basketball Junior. Oh, beautiful orange little amazing thing I, oh my god i'm, <laughs> I'm sorry so... everyone i just screamed into the microphone <laughs> um look if anyone i yeah i think utina fans of all people can appreciate just like an adorable specimen like basketball yeah um, talking about um colors he is a jury's color i think jury. <laughs> this is a jury themed cat here <laughs> Oh, I love her. Uh, um, but yes, uh, thank you all for, so much for listening, and we will see you all next week for uh, episode 35. Episode 35. Let's Bye. Do it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>